And now, proper propaganda. Pull my mic back, you like that? Journalists with journalists too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines, sidestepping the borders. If you're just tuning in to Civic Cypher, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. I go by the name of Q Ward. Yes, indeed. Um, and be sure to stick around. We got a lot more show coming your way. Uh, we're going to talk about Kim Potter, who is the officer that is charged with shooting, I believe his name is Dante Wright, um, during a traffic stop. And uh, she accidentally grabbed her taser, she says, instead of her gun. Um, it's a tough one for me. We're also going <laughs> for a lot of people, especially his mom. I've been watching this one. We're also going to talk about Emmett Teal. Um, is that's something that we reference a lot, not only on the show, but in just black circles and black life. So we're going to breathe a little bit of life into that story and make that um, real for everyone. So again, a lot to stick around for. But first things first, we are going to discuss how to become a better ally. And for this week, uh, I thought it might be a good idea to recommend that you, our listener, consume black media. Um, not just black entertainment, but black media. This includes um, journalists, reporters, you know, writers, things like authors and, and so forth. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, we're listening to Civic Cypher. This is black media. You're absolutely right. Well done. You're already halfway there. Um, but this week, I went to a celebration for a newspaper where I live. I live in Phoenix. So a newspaper that is called the Arizona Informant. It's a black owned newspaper that publishes black news or news, you know, from a black perspective. How does this affect black people and how might that be different from the population at large? Right. Um, and since we are um, perhaps more ingrained into the cultural fabric of this country, uh, than any other minority, um, I feel like this could help a lot of people gain some perspective. Now, fortunately, the woman I mentioned earlier, Dr. Camilla Westenberg, she received an award for being uh, this tremendous community member or whatever, but there were other people who did as well. And I think that by plugging in, it's going to allow you to get some perspective from some really brilliant minds um, also, the written word is sometimes more powerful than podcasts and radio shows and, you know, whatever else you might think. And in all, I just feel like there's a lot more to learn there. So maybe 30 minutes once a week, you just kind of take a moment and, you know, learn how the world might be outside of your world and outside of Civic Cypher as well. So that is how we are going to become a better ally this week. Now. Kim Potter. Um, our sources today come from the Insider, Insider.com, NewYorkPost.com, and the Huffington, Huffington Post. Um, I'm going to read a little bit of this, uh, and then we're going to peel away the layers, so bear with me. Um, okay, Kim Potter. The former Minnesota police officer is facing manslaughter charges for the shooting death of Dante Wright during a traffic stop in April. Potter and her partner pulled right over for driving with an air freshener hanging from his rearview mirror and then learned that Wright had a warrant out for his arrest after they stopped his car. 
brief pause. Not everybody knows they have a warrant out for their arrest. Um, police body camera footage shows that while Potter's partner tried to place Wright in handcuffs, uh, Potter shot Wright in the chest as he tried to sit down in the driver's seat. The footage shows Potter shouting, Taser, 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 before she shot Wright. Potter later said she intended to grab her taser instead of her gun. And her words were, oh, S word, I just shot him. And she screamed that out. Um, also, I want to say, running is not the worst thing. Anything that is scared, that is alive, has the capacity to run or engage physically. And that is just a human response, a response of anything with a nervous system. And running being the, the less threatening of those fight or flight options. Boom. All right. Um, Potter is heard yelling just moments after shooting the 20-year-old on April 11th in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. I grabbed the wrong effing gun. I shot him. She tells other cops at the scene, then falls to the curb, wailing uncontrollably. The footage shows, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I'm going to prison. But Minnesota Assistant Attorney General Aaron Eldridge told the jury during opening statements that the 26-year veteran should have known better and, quote, betrayed her badge, end quote, when she killed Wright. She said the taser, which Potter wore on the left side of her belt, weighs less than half as much as her gun, which she holstered on the right. Firing a weapon blindly, assuming it to be a taser, taser after drawing the wrong weapon from the wrong side, Eldridge said. She did all of those things with a gun. That's what she actually did. A gun loaded with hollow point bullets, the kind that expand on impact, the kind that tears up someone's insides, she said. She did this with a firearm that she was issued, that was part of her job, that she was entrusted to carry in the course of her duty to serve and protect. Wow. Um, now, a lot of stuff going on here. We've talked about this already. But now the trial is underway and now more footage, more angles, you know, things are coming to light. And I saw the whole thing again from all the different angles. And I, I told you at the beginning of the show, you might not like it, but I'm going to say it. I really, really, really think that was an accident. I saw her wailing. In the video, you can see it yourself. You might not see it the way that I do, and that's okay. But I don't believe that she intended to take his life just because her immediate reaction was so profound. And that's very difficult to fake. The other officers were taking her gun away because she was in, in her stupor. She was um, wanting to kill herself instead of going to prison because she just knew that as a certainty, right? And you can hear her saying it. Um, it's heartbreaking for everyone. It is absolutely heartbreaking, right? It's not my place. I didn't lose my child. I didn't lose my friend. I don't know Dante Wright. Um, he's a, a brother of mine, but not one that I know. You understand? And it's not my place to forgive. It's not my place to do anything, right? But what I saw, I can say based on my estimation was a mistake so what that leads me to do is examine how the mistake was made not necessarily who made the mistake right because if in my mind i believe it to be a mistake 
well, how do we prevent this from happening again? We can't go back in time and bring this young man back to life. His mother buried him. That's the end of his story. He lived those 20 years and he died on the, on, on, on the seat of that car that day. Right. Um, but no more can someone tells me that we need better police because again, we have a 26 year veteran. No more can someone tell me that the police officers need better training because we saw that her training, she, that they have to go through this training to use their weapons, right? Um, and here's the thing. If I've used this analogy before, so forgive me if you've heard it, but I think it holds true. If an airplane took off and didn't make it to its destination and it crashed somewhere before the destination, Everybody, government agencies, people on the ground, family members, corporations, everybody will be up in arms. How do we prevent this from happening again? You know, we need to figure out what the problem was. But no matter what the problem was, it could be the it could be just negligence on the behalf of the pilot. Right. Which is what a lot of folks are arguing in Kim Potter's case, that she was just negligent. She just didn't take a moment to go through what she knew to be true. Right. But if a, even if a pilot was negligent, they would figure out how, in what way, where it started. You know, they would trace it all the way back to the beginning and they would formulate a way to where that would never happen again because an airplane crashing is such a tragedy. But because this is only a black man, there is no such response, you know, and that's sad because this is kind of how we treat mass shootings in general. You know, we just, you know, there was a mass shooting in Australia um, I believe it was in the 90s or something like that. It was a mass shooting in Detroit, way more recent than the 90s. Well, the point I'm making is that the Australia one is um, once this mass shooting happens, guy, I think he shot 12 people or something like that. They said, all right, no more guns. Give us all the guns back. No more. And that's been it, right? In this country, we have mass shootings almost every day. Almost every day, sometimes twice in the same day or more. There's don't, been days where there's been multiple. Don't you dare even recommend <laughs> gun control, right? let alone gun ban. And so when we talk about police reform, when we talk about defunding the police, when we talk about these ideas and folks really think that there's these radical ideas and they sound like anarchy, we can point to examples where, okay, well, this isn't working. Who's, how many times are you going to say we need better trained officers? Um, as long as there are those who benefit from the profit of manufacturing and selling guns in this country and they have powerful, rich lobbyists in D.C. working on their behalf, you will continue to say the same thing over and over again because that change you hope for is not coming. The United States of America Incorporated has too many people that benefit financially. Um, I think I said to you before, once white children and white politicians became victims and there was still no change, I understood that nothing was going to cause it to change. You did say that. I remember that. Nothing's going to cause it to change, especially not Dante murdering Wright. young black men. Yeah. That's very sad. That's why in the wake of his murder, 
you have to point out that he had a warrant. For, he, well, you guys know he had a warrant for his arrest, right? You have to immediately make him less than. Yeah. So that you can justify or, or, or pull away pull away a bit of the empathy from the normal human response of someone being killed. Sure. And as we argue intent, maybe it was a mistake. None of us know. Um, but if I hit somebody in my car and they die, even if it's by mistake, there's some accountability there. And that's what I think we hope for. It's, right. None of us can say she absolutely did it on purpose. Right. Right. Even though a 26 year veteran officer should she know, know the, the difference between left and right. Yeah. Right. Besides the actual silhouette of a taser and a gun, which is different, too. But that's as similar as they get silhouette weight, <clears throat> color, construction, color, the triggers themselves, the pressure required, especially if there was more than one shot, which I think there was like at some point. Are, are you, when are you going to stop making the mistake? Yeah. She's saying taser, taser, taser. The gun was already drawn. So it wasn't taser, 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 draw, shoot. No, the gun was in her hand already. So at some point, that negligence is criminal. So full mistake or not, and the, the fact that she was upset, well, of course, if her mind thought, I'm going to go to prison for this, then she doesn't have to pretend to be distraught or in shock or, you know, emotionally distressed. Um, so, you know, we, we have different views on what we saw on that video. However, she made a mistake. So all is well, not okay. Oh, I would never. An involuntary yeah. manslaughter with the maximum punishment. Yeah, yeah. At least. So I think that brings me to um, one of the things that is also written down here it says the first degree manslaughter count requires prosecutors to prove that potter acted recklessly the second degree manslaughter count requires them to prove culpable negligence neither charge requires proof that she intended to kill the sentencing guidelines call for seven years and two months in prison on the first charge and four years on the other charge and what's interesting so, is there's a reason that they're not pursuing the murder charge and it's not because they don't believe it it's because it's harder to get a conviction for it. Yeah. That's how our legal system works. You could murder somebody on video and it still be too difficult to prove that you did it on purpose. So we're not even going to pursue that charge yeah. based on the history of charging police officers with murder, especially when their victims look like us. Yeah. So that decision was probably absent what they actually thought. What do we have a greater chance of actually getting, getting a, a conviction, real conviction for? All right, let's pursue that one. Sure. Even if it's way lesser, even if the charge for taking this kid away from his family is seven years. All right. Now, um, you mentioned something that I, I want to go back to when we were talking about them bringing up him having a warrant. Right. Um, I mentioned something. I said that not everyone knows that they have warrants. Right. Um, I've heard stories over and over again, time and again, where people will say, uh, I got a ticket and I didn't know it or some something. Well, I, 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 pay, really, I paid it. I can give a really real Go example. Go ahead. I, I, my driver's license, my insurance, my everything official, list my address. That's one North Arizona. Okay. I am working on assignment in Atlanta, Georgia. 
I have a car registered in my name in Arizona. Once upon a time, my nephew just decided with no driver's license and no insurance that he felt like driving that car and got a ticket. When that ticket arrives at the house, it has my name on it. Now, me being in another state, could never see that ticket, never know it arrived. Miss a court date, and now there's a warrant that I have no idea exists. So it's, it's really that simple. You know, people are like, well, yeah, right, the person didn't know. No, it's really, really simple to not know that there is a warrant for your arrest for something as simple as missing a court date that you didn't know you had. Absolutely. And I know that that's not really uh, the point or, or, or the, 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 the main um, subject of what we're talking about here, but I think it's important uh, to mention that. And then there's another part that uh, I want to bring up, and that's that um, I think that his warrant or he was arrested before and it was like a weapons thing, like he had a gun. And him having a gun, you know, there's people's minds go to a lot of places when you think black man and you think gun, right? Because we've all been conditioned to think that black is criminal, gun is criminal, put them together, and this person is intending to kill. Or some, some, very, some somehow, some way, we've been conditioned yeah, to... We aren't viewed as gun owners. Yeah. Like the you way could, that our other brethren are. Yeah, you have, I've seen like politicians. I, I actually, um, I was going to post it on our social media. I haven't done it yet. I need the right context. But there's a family portrait of a senator from, I don't know. He's a senator. And him and his family, even his little kids, they have these automatic weapons Assault sitting rifles. around the Christmas yeah, tree. Yeah, I've seen that picture. Now, just change one thing about that family. Make them black. All of a sudden, it or, or like a, it looks like a terrorist organization. Or make them, make them Muslim or something. Yeah, it's a very, very different scene, right? Um, people their reaction to it is very different. Now me being conscious and breathing, I look at that and I say, Oh my God, the next mass shooter is coming from this guy's family. But even that's not fair. But, um, here's the thing about it for folks that didn't grow up in rough neighborhoods or folks that didn't grow up in impoverished communities where, you know, people are stealing to make ends meet. People are, you know, scrapping and, and, and scraping to get by, you know, people will do a lot of things when they're desperate, you know, think of, forgive me if this is, you know, uh, triggering to anyone, but, you know, um, I learned a lot about the Holocaust. I went to school with a lot of Jewish people, my Jewish brothers and sisters, you know, um, I had a friend named Ari, uh, he's, he's passed now, but, um, he was, my friend, when we were in high school, we used to play basketball together and everything like that. And he and I took a, a class where he um, kind of broke down at a part where uh, the Nazis, I guess, were starving the, the Jews to death and they would throw a piece of bread in into their room and they would have to fight for this bread. And obviously these people all knew each other, loved each other, but they would kill each other over the bread because they were in a desperate situation. And that's not to, to pick on uh, Jewish people or non-melanated folks, but that is, I believe, to show the human condition. Now, when you put any people in an impoverished community and they end up in desperate situations, yeah, you're going to have an increase in crime. There, are, I'll never argue against that some people are just bad people, right? It's just a thing. Um, but crime has a tendency to follow desperate situations we'll say it that way and to give people an example 
a lot of people hear the word white privilege and it's a bit triggering. An example of that is not having the worst of you define you. Wow. Like it's not a it's not a white people are not condemned on a whole when there's a young white kid that shoots up his school. Mm-hmm. That kid is an outlier. And even that kid is given grace. How about that? He was dealing with so much, <laughs> having a bad day. And like these things that they say, like they're benign. He was having a bad day. And and when those people are apprehended, the way that they're treated, it's just framed. Right? This kid that shot up the school in Detroit, the first photo they showed of him is him as a kid praying. Whereas if it had been one of our kids, it's a mugshot. Whatever the worst picture they can find, yeah. The most criminal looking picture. Oh yeah. They'll yeah. they'll get the mugshot published as fast as possible if they can't find a picture of him on social media with, you know, a bunch of cash or a gun. Sure. But we find the the worst of every other segment of our culture. The worst thing that happens that's 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 done by a person from a specific group. That group is condemned for it. Except for when you're white. Man, well, another thing here that's that uh, as far as um, black men and guns, when you're in these rougher communities, these tough situations, sometimes having a gun is literally just a matter of protection from the environment that you live in. And I think that the the way that this is deployed, like we had a weapons charge uh, from carrying a gun or something like that, that was what his warrant was for, blah, blah, blah. Whatever his story is, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend like I know it. But the, the, the way it's wielded is almost like, well, he was the type to carry guns, so he was definitely going to be the type of person to rob you. When the fact is that, remember, I live a black life. I, my, my story begins in Compton, California, the Compton, California, in the 80s, right? Um, from what I know, even when people are kind of, they might be engaged in something that's, could be considered criminal usually the guns are there so that they can protect themselves not to rob a person at gunpoint that action by itself is extremely risky <laughs> you know what i mean rather and typically comes from extreme circumstances yeah well. that's not something if oh i got a gun now i can rob everyone no not at all that is not what you're trying to do you have a gun because you know other people have guns there's gangs there's you know drugs there's people that are trying their best to scrape and scratch and get out of this predicament and you know they you know you're the people across the street start looking like your next meal not not unlike what happens you know when you throw a piece of bread in and they're starving jews in a room together right like even me being a gun owner which you know ramses and i have gone back and forth about it and we actually don't disagree on it um, we both feel the same way about guns, but me becoming a gun, gun owner grew out of desperation. When this pandemic reached its, not its peak, but when it really, really got serious and people started to, you know, become irrational at the store, right? There was a, there was no toilet paper at one point and a fear that there would be a shortage of everything, food, supplies, etc. 
And I had a, a, a member of law enforcement remind me that not only was I in an open carry state, but that I might find myself the only person in that state that doesn't own a gun. And in the most desperate of times, that would make me and my family readily victims, right? If the idea is that you have food and I don't, but I have a gun and you don't, then I have food. Well, well said. The only reason I'm a gun owner. That thought process. Well, I'll say it again. That's not for me. I'm glad you have one because I got somebody I can call if I need it. <laughs> but that that won't be my if story. If there's a fire, yeah, have a fire extinguisher. Yeah. Well, if there's a fire, I'm glad you have one. Um, but yeah, that's that's not for me. And um, I think that that's the story that I need to leave behind. But um, I want to leave you with this before we go into our way black history fact. I know we went over just a bit. Um, these are my notes. This is something that I wrote that I wanted to share briefly. Um, this shows a problem with the system, not with the officers, not with the human beings, but with the system. This shows that training doesn't work. Um, other countries, officers don't have the right to end someone's life. Uh, they don't carry guns or else they keep them in the trunk. There's other cu countries where they do this successfully. Um, we have the best investigatory practices on earth in this country. And in the unlikely event that an officer is killed by a gun, um, we have the means to find out who that is. And I think that those are all things worth considering because this is a voluntary job. It's not, you know, it's not a requirement, nothing like that. So I just wanted to leave us with that before we move on to our way black history fact. Today we are talking about Emmett Lewis Till. Um, he was born... July 25th, 1941, and his last day was August 28th, 1955. Um, wow. My sources, uh, this uh, most of this came from Wikipedia. So, here we go. Excuse me. Um, Emmett Till was a 14-year-old African-American who was lynched in Mississippi in 1955 after being accused of offending a white woman in her family's grocery store. The brutality of his murder and the fact that his killers were acquitted drew attention to the long history of violent persecution of African-Americans in the United States. Till posthumously became an icon of the civil rights movement. So when everything's really started picking up, it was on the heels of his death. Till was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. During summer vacation in August 1955, he was visiting relatives near Money, Mississippi, in the Mississippi Delta region. Delta. He spoke to 21-year-old Carolyn Bryant, the white married proprietor of a small grocery store there. Although what happened at the store is a matter of dispute, Till was accused of flirting with or whistling at Bryant. Till's interaction with Bryant, perhaps... Uh, unwittingly violated the unwritten code of behavior for a black male interacting with a white female in the Jim Crow era South. Several nights after the incident in the store, Bryant's husband, Roy, and his half-brother, J.W. Millam, were armed when they went to Till's great-uncle's house and abducted Emmett. They took him away and beat and mutilated him before shooting him in the head and sinking his body in the Tallahatchie River. Three days later, Till's body was discovered and retrieved from the river. 
Till's body was returned to Chicago where his mother insisted on a public funeral service with an open casket. That was what did it. Uh, which was held at Robert's, Temp- Robert's Temple Church of God in Christ. Oh, a Church of God in Christ. I didn't know that. Fun fact, uh, my great-grandfather founded the Church of God in Christ. All right. It was later said that the open coffin funeral held by Mammy Till Bradley exposed the world more than her son, uh, to more than her son's Emmett Till's bloated, mutilated body. Her decision focused attention not only on U.S. racism and the bar barbarism of lynching but also on the limitations and vulnerabilities of american democracy tens of thousands attended his funeral or viewed his open casket and images of his mutilated body were published in black oriented magazines and newspapers rallying popular black support and white sympathy across the u.s intense scrutiny was brought to bear on the lack of black civil rights in Mississippi, with newspapers around the U.S. critical of the state. Although local newspapers and law enforcement officials initially decried the violence against Till and called for justice, they responded to national criticism by defended Mississippians, temporarily giving support to the killers. <clears throat> in September 1955, an all-white jury found Bryant and Millam not guilty of Till's murder. Protected against double jeopardy, the two men publicly admitted in a 1956 interview with Look Magazine that they had killed Till. Till's murder was seen as a catalyst for the next phase of the civil rights movement. In December 1955, the Montgomery bus boycott began in Alabama and lasted more than a year, resulting eventually in a U.S. Supreme Court ruling that segregated buses were unconstitutional. Um, According to historians, events surrounding Emmett Till's life and death continue to resonate. An Emmett Till Memorial Commission was established in early 21st century. The Summer County Courthouse was restored and includes the Emmett Till Interpretive Center. 51 sites in the Mississippi Delta are memorialized as associated with Till. That was Emmett Till. What do you think, Q? That was... 1955. Mm-hmm. On February 26, 2012, George Zimmerman stalked, followed, and murdered Trayvon Martin. Mm. He was acquitted. Mm. July 2013. Well, um, it's such a heavy story to, to listen to. Um, and, you know, Dave Chappelle mentioned something in one of his stand-up specials. He said that, uh, you know, as, as difficult and as challenging as that was, it served as the fuel to create the change. And, and then the, the woman at the center of the story that he whistled, uh, he whistled at um, later admitted that he didn't do all of the things that she said that he did. Um, and, but that lie resulted in this man dying and his death resulted in the civil rights movement, which resulted in, you know, us all, you know, taking a a giant step forward as brothers and sisters in this country. And so, um, as rough a story as it is to hear, um, you know, for folks that don't know, you know, it's, it's just important for us to, again, breathe life into that story because, you know, a lot of times you and I are talking on the show and we're, there's certain concepts that we take for granted, but in a lot of the stations that listen to us and even folks that download the show or, you know, however they consume it, um, you know, we know that 
some of these things are not they're American history, but they may not be your history, or maybe you are vaguely familiar, but you don't have an intimate sort of familiarity. And, and it's our place and our pleasure to uh, share that with you. And so we try to do that every single week with the way black history fact, but that's going to do it for us today. Once again, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. I go by the name of Q Ward and I'm actually in the studio with Ramses Ja, which is really, really cool. Yeah, man, we got to get back to it. Um, but yeah, you can download this or any other episode at civiccipher.com. You can also follow all of our social media. That's all at Civic Cipher. Uh, feel free to make a donation. The show is growing. We got a lot of exciting announcements to bring you uh certainly in the new year uh and that's all because of your support so please once again civiccipher.com please consider making a donation because all of this growth and to sustain this growth really comes from your support um if you want to submit topics anything like that it's all on the website civiccipher.com uh again that's going to do it for us and so uh until next week y'all peace Sidestepping the borders with press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. The streets love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander, here to fight the slander with the proper propaganda. What's happening? You got a question, then ask it. The news is just a TV show, get past it. And this from a quiet wartime journalist headlines. Wake up, refuse, and resist. Like this, like this, like this, like this, it is sure. We kick finance, action and scores of sports, politics, new fashion and war reports, entertainment when we come to perform watch. Triclops media, record tape, TV, net radio, CD, or DVD, our science.